Hello, and welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where we ask the question, what kind of disgusting loser gets a job to support his family? Ugh. Sweet Valley High number nine, Racing Hearts. Can Roger melt Lila's icy heart? Hi, I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and I know I always say that I have a very special guest every week, but this week's guest couldn't be more special to me personally because it's my father, Don Flaxbart. Well, hello, Marissa. (laughs) We're get to walk down the claustrophobic halls of Sweet Valley High together for the first time. Oh, yeah, it is the first time. Uh, Well, one of the first questions that I always ask my guest's dad is, well, not my guest's dad, but my guest's comma dad. <laughs> One of the first questions I always ask is, do you have any familiarity with Sweet Valley High? Have you, do you know anything about it? This is the one and only Sweet Valley book, or as far as that goes, teenage romance I have ever read in my life, and I'm a man in my 60s, so there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Great. Well, that makes sense. That's not a surprise to me. If this were the moment when you revealed to me that secretly you've been reading them low these many years, that would be a little bit shocking. But you did know a little bit about the series, right? Because of my... Because you have always... Well, you had the interest in growing up, and I knew you were reading and did not know a thing about them. And then I knew afterwards you had revisited them with mm-hmm. some sense of humor as you you were doing your, your blog. Blog, and, Sweet Valley Diaries, and, you know, and, .net. Yeah, and actually made a trip to New York to meet with some people, so that was fun. That's true. That's part of Marissa Flaxbart's secret history of Sweet Valley High expertise, I guess we'll call it. As, as much as anyone can be an expert in these books. Well, let's get right into it. Um, I wanted to ask you about the cover. Can you describe the cover a little bit? Uh, I can see a, a, a lanky boy with nerdy glasses, which don't quite fit. And they're not on his face. Right? No, no, they're, 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 they're draped over the, the neck of his T-shirt. And uh, he's got his hands on on somebody he's sweet on shoulders. Uh, it's not real clear for somebody coming into this who that is, but she's got a very imperious look on her face. So in hindsight, I assume that is the rich girl, Lila. <laughs> you are very right. The cover, as always, is very telling. The two people, the boy in question is Roger Barrett. And I think it's really telling that his glasses are tucked into the edge of his shirt because this is something that he can't escape his kind of nerdy weirdness, but he wants to. So he's not even wearing his glasses. He just sort of has them there. Um, Personally, I think he'd look better with them on, but I like glasses. So um, the cover of my book has an added bonus, which is that it has now been fully ripped off of the book. Uh, This this was the last hurrah of my very ancient uh, copy of Racing Hearts. I accidentally tore it up in my sleep so that's okay luckily i don't think i'll probably ever read it again if i if i were to say one more thing about the cover he's looking at her with a quizzical look it's not sure that he's not sure who she is or she's got nits in her hair <laughs> yeah i feel like his look on his face says what's your deal like i thought you liked me like will you please turn around and just look at me and she is clearly posing for the portrait painter oh yeah He doesn't know how to do that. She knows how to pose for a portrait because she's a Fowler, Lila Fowler, one of the richest girls in town. Him, he is, Roger Barrett is one of the poorest people in the town of Sweet Valley, which is saying something in Sweet Valley, not because there are a lot of poor people, but because there are so few poor people that if you're poor, it's especially a stigma. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the plot of the book. Uh, As the cover would suggest, it's about Roger and Lila mostly. Well, actually, when I read the book, I was surprised given the the title uh, of the book and what you see. The first chapter is about the two characters you're all familiar with, Jessica and her sister Elizabeth. And he didn't even show up in the first chapter. You were asking me, you know, in preliminary questions about the book. So what characters recur in this series? And I told you, well, most of the characters recur because it's a high school. So, you know, Lila appears in almost every book. Roger Barrett is a background character, but he gets his own book. Olivia Davidson factors into this book. The, The characters come up again and again. And you asked me... Well, what about Jessica and Elizabeth? Yeah, what about them? <laughs> and and sure enough, they, they do factor heavily enough into this book that uh, popping in for book nine could be a little bit jarring to wonder what the hell these girls are doing recurring in this book when their storyline has so little to do with the Roger and Lila storyline. Yeah. But basically, there's this race. Uh, that's one of the first things we learned about. We'll skip over the Jessica and Elizabeth plotline, save that later, because that's important, but it's like a B story. It's also hilarious, but a B story. So sit tight, listeners, as we'll get to it. Marissa and I will skip the flax and go straight to the Bart, which is the name of the race. <laughs> oh, very, very well done, Dad. So yeah, there's a race called the Bart. Uh, not for, to be confused with the Simpson dance. No, no, not the Bartman. Um, but it's named after someone named Barton something. It's it's a big race that is uh, run as kind of inter-school race. And the winner of the race gets a scholarship to Sweet Valley College. Not Sweet Valley University, but a subset, apparently, of Sweet Valley University called Sweet Valley College. I did not know there was a university, too. Well, there's a whole series of books that comes later called Sweet Valley University. Is there also a research facility? (laughs) (laughs) There's Sweet Valley University Hospital, Sweet Valley (laughs) Research Laboratories. The race is kind of the big thing that happens in this book that is followed, of course, by a dance. I guess we get started by meeting Lila and Jessica. They're talking about the race and talking about the dance and who's going to take them. And they're both like between boyfriends right now. So they're on the hunt for somebody to take. Yeah. I mean, they sound like girls who go through boyfriends, like girls used to go through clothes, but (laughs) yeah, no, I think that's accurate. I think girls probably still go through clothes a lot. And no doubt there are many high school girls that go through boyfriends a lot, but uh, these two definitely Lila less so, but, but Jessica, absolutely. Uh, and we are introduced to Roger Barrett kind of through Lila's eyes, and she keeps on calling him Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Uh, which, which we don't, we're not explain. they don't explain to us at first why she's calling him Bugs Bunny, and it's not readily apparent. We learn that he's wearing really shabby clothes, his pants don't fit, he's got these ugly glasses. Let me just skinny. say, somebody coming from the outside of it, you know, where you, you're, here we have a book about Roger, who's a runner, with a mean girl named Jessica, and he's called Bugs Bunny, and you think, who framed Roger Rabbit? Is he <laughs> Is the, is, the, is the whole suggestiveness of the tone for somebody coming in from the outside. Oh, that's true. Maybe the inspiration for Hugh Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which came after this book was written, was partially uh, Racing Hearts. Well, there you go. There you go. I think it's probable um, that Jessica Wakefield was the inspiration for yeah. Jessica Rabbit. Their royalties to be paid to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, probably also then to Warner Brothers Studios for Bugs Bunny. But um, We actually do find out the reason that Lila calls... Roger Barrett Bugs Bunny. I wrote it down because I thought it was so stupid. Um, (laughs) On page 14, 
Lila calls Roger Bugs Bunny for like the third time in two pages. And Jessica says, hey, why do you call him Bugs Bunny anyway? And Lila says, because he bugs me. (laughs) So I guess Roger has a crush on Lila and always has. He's never really done anything about it, but Lila finds that annoying. Roger has another female friend, uh, Olivia Davis. Which I'm not, and I'm not sure looking at it in hindsight in this long time since I've been there, you know, there's a lot of irrationality in who you get a crush on, but why Roger would have a crush on Lila, besides the fact that she's rich and some kind of figurehead, is totally beyond me. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that she's pretty, but it could also be some kind of psychological uh, attraction to the rich girl, since he's so poor. Mm -hmm. She's got this, like, status, and she's got everything that he always wanted. Maybe she's, like, the physical embodiment. I mean, to psychologize these books a little bit. Yes. Because Roger is very poor, and he's even he's even more poor than people know. People can tell that he's poor because he wears the same clothes all the time, and they don't quite fit, and they've got holes in them. And and but what they don't know is that he's so poor that he has this shitty after school job that he doesn't tell anybody about. Right, and he has the job because this his family needs the support from the job. It's not just like he's saving it for himself. Absolutely, they need the support. Uh, the I think what we learn in just in passing is that his mother is sick and his father is a drunk. Yes, all the good types you need to know about poor people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's they're not painting with a, a subtle brush. The, no, no, none of the whole book. It's. It's 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 well brushed the the <laughs> figures you know you, you know from the get go where everybody stands in the pecking order and wh- how they're trying to to pose. Yeah, well, it's handy as a reader, especially a, a preteen reader, to uh-huh. be able to just kind of rely on these tried and true stereotypes and not have to really think beneath the surface. The fact that Roger has this job is kind of keeping him from being on the track team, but everybody knows that he can run because he like runs for fun on the track sometimes. I think he runs to get wherever he needs to go, and that's... That too, yeah. He was always running all around school. We see him running upstairs to get to class. Um, and... So this book actually has quite a bit of guys talking to each other, which is unusual in, in these books. Most of the time, the guys are talking to the girls or, you know, it's a group of people, some guys, some girls, or the girls are talking about guys. This book early on has some, like, literal locker room talk right. where Bruce Patman, who is... A jerky rich boy. Yes, he's the counterpart to Lila. The Patmans and the Fowlers, they're the two... You yeah. might not have gotten this from the book, but they're the two rich families. Uh-huh. And the Fowlers are new money, silicon chips and such. The Patmans are old money. So there's a there's a deeper level rich people feud going on there. Bruce Patman is going to be going out for this race, the BART. He doesn't need the scholarship, but he wants to win for status. He wants to prove he's the best, best athlete in the school. Oh, he he's convinced these are the best athlete. He's arrogant. Yeah, that's twit. good. That's good. It's not just that he wants to prove it. It's just that he he wants to rub it in everybody's face. He pretty much says as much. Yes. Todd Wilkins is pissed at Bruce um, because actually Bruce kind of like sort of tried to rape Elizabeth <laughs> in a, a few books ago. Well, I'm the, glad I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a great book, but and and it's uh you know an easier pill to swallow because the book doesn't ever. These books never specifically talk about sex, so it's just alluded to. Yeah, well, but, we can, in this day and age, we can certainly guess what kind of man Bruce will, Bruce Patman's going to grow into. 
It's very topical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, a rich guy who thinks he can do whatever the hell he wants with yeah. Uh, impunity. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but he's handsome. So that is just well, makes it worse. Go. That just makes it that much worse. Bruce and Todd Wilkins and John Pfeiffer, like they're all just talking about the race. They're uh-huh. talking about the dance. Roger's kind of out of it, but um, he decides, or Elizabeth kind of talks him in at the last, at the very, very last minute to doing the the trials for the race, the like preliminary race. And the premise she uses is that he really needs the money for a scholarship, whereas Bruce doesn't. Everybody knows he's poor and not going to be able to afford to go to college. And he's said, I don't know how sincerely when he's quizzed that he he's going to be a doctor, maybe a cardiologist. That's true. So he has he would love to go to college. She realistically he doesn't know if he can afford it. Elizabeth says like, "Hey, you run, like you might as well give it a shot." She says this literally 5 minutes before the, you know, preliminary trial race that determines who gets to go on from the Sweet Valley High to compete in the big interscholastic race. Um, so Roger doesn't even have time to put on running clothes. Luckily, he's wearing his only pair of sneakers. Yes. And he runs the race, I guess, like in his jeans. Yes. And this is, this is it's pretty uh, interesting race sequence, you know, like for distant stuff, everybody starts to naturally too slow. Uh, I mean, too fast, but he actually... Especially Bruce back. Patman, right? Yeah, he, started, he holds back and and to have enough for the sprint at the end. Slow and steady runs the race. Yes. So he's not the rabbit, he's the tortoise. The tortoise, yeah. So this Roger Rabbit, Bugs Bunny stuff. At least for the first half of the race, he's the tortoise, then he's fast. Then he's fast. <laughs> so he wins the race. Um, wait, does he win or does he just place in the top three? Because the top three, Bruce no, Patman, he, he, somebody he, named... He, he wins the race, yeah. Okay, so it's... Oh, he wins the race. That's why he gets so much attention from this guy, Colt Schultz, who also looms large in this book. Although we like have never learned anything about Coach Schultz before, and he doesn't figure that much into the books. But in this book, there's a lot of sports and there's a lot of talk about this guy, Coach Schultz, who loves Roger. Roger Barrett. I keep on almost saying Roger Patman, Uh but I won't tell you why. (laughs) Roger Barrett, Bruce Patman, and somebody named Tony Estevan. Tony Esteban. Um, Which is one of the interesting things, coming in from the outside of this stuff. I don't know if this book is, is in, you know, it's in the 80s, and Latino population then was mostly in Florida, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, things towards the Mexican border or the Caribbean. And so I'm thinking, where is, where is Sweet Valley? Is it in California? Is Sweet it Valley Texas? is in California, okay. yes. Because that explains a high school called El Caro. Yes, their rival. One of their rival high schools is called El Caro, <laughs> and which what is that Spanish for the car? I think that's Mang- yeah, I actually looked up something. There, there is an automotive dealer in in Veracruz called El Caro. Veracruz, Mexico. <laughs> yes, okay. and but there's more. There's more stuff like that in Spain. So I, I think that's a made up term from English borrowed into Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm saying um, auto, right? <laughs> Automobile or coche or something. Well, coche, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. I'm confusing Spanish and Italian. Mm-hmm. At any rate, I think what we're dancing around is there's, it's for a fleeting moment, it seems like there's going to be a Hispanic character in this book, just for a second, a uh, non-white person in yes, Three Valley yes. High, but we don't actually meet Tony Esteban. And I'll tell you what, I've read many, many of these books. I have no idea who Tony Esteban is. He's never comes back again. This does seem to be a very white group of 
kids. I don't know. It, I don't know. It is an entirely white group of kids, is what it is. And almost all so wealthy that Roger's poorness is uh, ridiculous. And um, so the three of them are going to advance to the race. And I mean, basically, the big problem of this book, it can be stated pretty simply Roger is getting all this attention. He's like the school hero for having done so well. It's not just that he won the race, but that it seemed like maybe he was going to break four minutes. Like if he practiced, he could really be a star. He could be the first person from Sweet Valley High to win the BART since 1956. Yes, which which is an interesting little bit that don't explain too much because here you have this endowed race that has a scholarship supposed to be so important, and a coach, Coach Schultz, who's so good, and this school is totally non-competitive. It's been almost 30 years since they've had a winner of this race. And it's really just the one winner, like the first place person gets the scholarship. Everybody else is screwed. So maybe that's part of it. But Roger can't go to practice, and he's afraid that he's basically not going to be able to go to the race at all. He keeps on meaning to bow out of it because he's got this job, and he is sure that if he tries to get the time off, his boss uh, won't let him. So he doesn't even ask, which is maybe the most annoying thing to me in this entire book, is that he never even tries to get the time off. Yeah, yeah, although my take on that, poor people, their managers tend to look, often look down on them, you know, and they just are a class that certain people feel entitled to bully if you're you're a foreman. And I, so I, I, I don't like it, but I believe that... It was probably a reasonable concern when he was taking it that way. Well, that's a good point, Dad. I might be speaking from my position of privilege uh, <laughs> that he he doesn't even ask. So, and he is a kid too. So I feel yeah. like he feels like he's easily re- replaceable. Um, I mentioned briefly uh, Olivia Davidson. That's his good friend who's super super supportive of him, mm-hmm. and we learn has a big crush on him and is very hurt when the moment that he wins the race, Lila Fowler runs up to him, gives him a big hug. Lila has decided, oh, if if he's going to be a hot shot, if he's actually going to be good at something, maybe maybe he's not so bad. Like, he has a crush on me. Like, I'll play this game for a little while. She doesn't have feelings for him, right. but she's willing to kind of toy with him. I, yeah, and I, I wasn't sure how much she was just trying to milk it for herself and how much she was trying to toy with him. I mean, maybe she wasn't sure either, but are you have a take on that? No, I'm actually thinking about it now. I'm not really sure how much Lila even really cares about guys. I kind of think she talks about boys because it's the thing that girls do. And she likes to kind of power play them. Yeah. I mean, if, if this book were written now, I think it would, the female characters would be rewritten because it was two at least two characters in here female characters in here that talk about how they need they don't have a boy and like that's like so what you know yeah jessica and lila talk yeah. a lot about needing a date for the dance and having that's kind of constantly comes up whether or not they have a boyfriend or don't have a boyfriend they're in between boyfriends and it's it's a sore topic so olivia is really sad that um, suddenly, this bitch Lila and Roger are her, who she knows to be a very nice guy, um, who would never tell Lila any of the truth about himself. Like they've got this clearly doomed relationship. That uh, meanwhile, she is like this great friend, caring friend to Roger, and he just can't even think of her as anything other than a friend. I think it's interesting the way Olivia is described. It actually makes me really warm to her, even though she's eccentric in the book. 
we're first introduced to her, she's got a weird outfit on, and Roger even comments on how it's weird. Like, uh-huh. when are you going to start shopping at the mall? Do you remember that part? Uh, I, I, I do. And obviously, I, he, he, she's got a little bit of a bohemian kind of self-expression going on, and he can't relate to that. His imagination has gone off to wealth and what that would give by him. Yeah, I think it's true. I think he's thinking about, like, why wouldn't you want to blend in with everybody else if you could? Like, if you could afford not to stand out, why wouldn't you just Which, blend in? I mean, kind of suits the the place he's coming from and is, explains a bit his yeah. obsession with it. It's a realistic high school perspective, which is part of why I love so much that Olivia's response to when are you going to start shopping at the mall like everyone else is... Oh, but then I would be like everyone else, and that's not what I want. Did you get some sense that he's was totally not ready to be in a relationship with a girl, period? He seems, like, immature, like, <laughs> like not sure what he was doing. You know, even even, at, even to on an experimental, he would just seem kind of like he was he was more in middle school. Well, he is a sixteen year old boy. Yeah, I think it's actually kind of funny. So, what happens in the book is Lila is really into Roger ish. She thinks he's he's got a cute bod in this like sweatsuit that the coach uh-huh. or that the president the president the, the principal, principal yeah. Chrome Dome gives him this like uh-huh. like sexy tracksuit. I guess it was it sounded really lame to me, but yeah. maybe that's my modern day perspective. But it, I I kind of also want one because it sounded like it was like velvet or velour like blue tracksuit uh-huh. with the Sweet Valley High logo <laughs> em- embroidered onto it. And I when he described the red. Sweet Valley High logo embroidered onto the tracksuit. Suddenly, I just I went from thinking it sounded awful to really wanting one. Oh, well, I, I guess I didn't imagine it as well as you. It sounded to me like it was pretty awful anyway, but I could see how he'd appreciate it if he has pants that don't go down to his socks. Well, you know? he was even saying, Roger, when he the principal gives him this tracksuit, because this is immediately after the race. He comes in, he's won the race, but he's won it in his shitty regular street clothes. And the principal is like, Barbara, that's not her name, but whatever the secretary's name is, like Trudy. Come in. No, Trudy is Mr. Wakefield's oh, yeah, secretary. Yeah. We'll get to oh, that. Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah, the secretary of the of Chrome Dome. The Chrome Dome secretary, the high school secretary, bring in one of those track suits. Yeah. And Roger's eyes just open wide. He's given this gift of the track suit because in the school store, the track suit costs $30. Yeah. So. That's also yeah. a sign of the times, inflation. That's just so expensive. Yeah, just for inflation. We, we should, we just, just reading a book, we should figure out what that would be about. It'd probably be about maybe 100 bucks or something today. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But that, I mean, 100 bucks would be what I, I could imagine a, a tracksuit in mm-hmm. the high school store that was like that one being 100 bucks. So then Roger's wearing it around. Lila sees him in it and it's like, ooh, he's so sexy. Like, she's, her mind is changing. But really, she's excited because he's a celebrity right now. Yes. And she's like, well, now I, I could be seen with him now. This crumbles pretty quickly. Like, for a book that's in theory about Lila and Roger, their their relationship doesn't go very far. It doesn't last very long because... Lila keeps on trying to get Roger to hang out with her, but he's never available. He can't even go to track practice he because he's always her. working. Yeah, right, he won't tell her why. So she keeps planning pool parties. Yes, she's like, come hang out by my pool. Oh. And he's like, oh, that sounds so great. I'm so flattered. But and he make then he doesn't show up and he lies to say that he's at track practice. But when he's not at track practice, he lies. He doesn't even really lie. He's just like, I just couldn't come. He tells the coach. So everybody's on his case. You feel for him a little bit, except, like I said before, I was annoyed that he, that Roger wasn't just 
yeah. asking for permission. Like he he was assuming that he had a problem rather than trying to. There, find there, out. there is no way, given who Lila is, not only in terms of her personality but in terms of her social status, that he would be able to maintain that relationship. Can you see him going to this pool? He wouldn't even have a reasonable swimming suit, you know. Maybe because needs to go right. out for the swimming team. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, now seems like as good of a time as any to launch into the B story because this is going to mm-hmm. become important. Um, the B story starring Jessica Wakefield. Ta-da! So, <laughs> do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, she, my goodness, like, like I say, coming in from the outside, it starts in chapter one that she's just had two setbacks on top of each other. One, I think we just have to point out, being out in L.A., is that she was in the high school play, and there was an agent that came to town, and he picked this boy to come out to L.A. to... Bill to, Chase. Yes, and and he didn't invite her, but Bill Chase, she says, isn't going to go far, and I'm thinking, my goodness, how many people sitting in Los Angeles are, didn't didn't know that the, the, the talent agents would come to their local high school and snap them out of the crowd, I and know. she's disappointed. So, I was in lots of plays in high school. Think if there had been a talent agent sitting in the audience, where would I be today? I wouldn't be sitting at my dining room table with my dad recording a podcast. <laughs> I, I hope that was good. So everybody who needs an agent, go to Sweet Valley. Yes, go to Sweet Valley High. Start your kids. Or if you're like a, like a dance mom or a talent mom, you know, start your kids. The Sweet Valley High track early so that the talent agents can see. So, them. so all this somehow in her mind segues into the fact that if if she could get a job down at the her father's her, law firm. her father's law firm, Ned Wakefield's law firm, yeah, who seems to be involved in law in certain certain kinds of class action and qui bono stuff. Though I don't know how he raised a girl like Jessica with those values. But uh, well, all the good stuff went to Elizabeth. Oh, all the goody okay. shoes, all the goody two shoes. Jeans went to Elizabeth. And <laughs> Jessica got all the all the like flashiness and sex appeal. So uh, and none of the work ethic, which is why he's so excited that she asks him flat out, like, "Let me come have a job at your office." And imagines that she's going to be doing legal aid kind of assistance with no qualifications. She definitely pictures herself as like like Ally McBeal, like right yeah, off the bat. Yeah. Like I'm going to be. Well, I don't know why she doesn't picture herself as Ally McBeal. That it would be anachronistic, but she. Uh, is going to be, I was just trying to think of a famous female lawyer. That was what I came up with <laughs> from television. So she's going to be Gloria Allred. <laughs> yes. I, yes, it's amazing. And she's going to be, like, battling these legal cases. And instead, she shows up at the office in her brown business suit dress and is told to make copies. She well, makes copies for she, five she, minutes, She's delegated right? to Trudy, who she hates, the office manager. Yes. And Trudy has her making copies. Yeah. Right. Trudy tells her to make copies. She makes copies for five minutes before she's bored and is like, I need to quit this job. Dad's not going to be very happy. But, oh well. But then she meets a boy in the elevator. Dennis. Dennis Creighton. Creighton yes. Whose father... Uh, he's... he's he runs an agency there like for an ad public, pub, pub, public relations, yeah. A public relations, a PR yeah. firm, like yeah. across the across the hall, hall from Ned Wakefield's law office. Yes, and this is a, some strapping big blonde person. He sounds very sexy, but also like he even like I picture him looking like a jerk. Oh, I, I picked him looking very good because that's why she's attracted to him. But the part, are we giving to away if we jump the story about what the give, the, the tell on the B story? At the oh, end? I think we can go for it. Well, I mean, the thing that's strange is that she, 
that what shoots down the relationship, she realizes he's, he can't drive because he's 15. And I'm thinking, my goodness, things change over the years. But this fellow, if he was turned into the six foot strapping fellow at 15, had human growth hormone or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So what you're getting at is what we and we skipped over is that it's not just that she has a crush on him. They've been like hanging out and making out in their father's in her father's office yeah, making for copies. hours at a time. Making copies. <laughs> Making copies in, she tells her dad she's studying. Instead, she arranges to just like make out with this guy um, who is, he's a gentleman enough to know when to stop because their passions are going to get the best of them. So they're just making out in this office for hours at a time. She thinks that maybe he's up to, he's got some secret, like he's got another girlfriend or something because he never wants to go anywhere else with her. And then one day she asks if he can give her a ride home. And he's like, oh, sorry, I didn't have my car today. We have to take the bus together. And um, she ultimately confronts him and is like, look, I'm trying to hint that I want you to take me to the Bart dance. Why don't you take me to the Bart dance? And he's like, oh, well, I have a secret. I haven't told you yet. And it's that I, I didn't think you'd like me if you knew. The reason I can't, I don't have a car is because I don't have my driver's license yet. I'm 15. And she is scandalized. But he has a learner's permit. He has a learner's permit. The I and like she could drive him. She even thinks for a second, like, well, I guess I could drive before he reveals the fifteen-year-old thing. Uh, now I realize that on the face of it, the idea of finding out that the boy you've been making out with every night in your dad's office is fifteen sounds very gross and awful. Here's the thing, though: Jessica is sixteen. Uh-huh. She's sixteen. <laughs> she just got her driver's license yeah. like yesterday. And we know he's sexy, so... Yeah, there's not that much difference in age. But she's like, when everybody... I thought about it, but then when everyone found out that he was 15, I would be embarrassed all over again. Uh You know, I would be just mortified. So, but Elizabeth knows about Dennis and knows uh, Jessica's secret Mm -hmm. because she shows up at her dad's office to, like, surprise Elizabeth one night. I'm sorry. Elizabeth shows up at their dad's office to surprise Jessica one night. And she sees them together. Yeah. But what she also sees, she hides. She runs like a cheetah. And she hides. (laughs) I thought that was funny. There's a lot of running happening in this book. Elizabeth hides and sees. Who does she see? She sees Roger in his janitorial capacity. Yes, Roger is a janitor. We've known that he works at a Sweet Valley office building. But this is the big reveal. That Roger's job is as a janitor at the same office building where Jessica and Elizabeth's dad works, where Dennis Creighton's dad works, and Jessica and Roger make eye contact, and Elizabeth sees them make eye contact and then keep on walking. Elizabeth rushes home because she has got to catch Jessica before Jessica has a chance to call Lila and, uh, and, and tell, tell spill the beans on Roger. And But she gets home and Lila calls first, and Elizabeth answers and says that Jessica's not available. Right. She says she'll call back, but I have to talk to her first, so it'll be a while. Meanwhile, Olivia has found out that Roger is not going to run the race because he thinks he'll lose his job. So Olivia calls Elizabeth for advice. There's this whole, in the final chapters of this book, there's this whole phone, telephone uh, tree thing happening. Yeah, and and one of the odd things about Elizabeth is... she supposedly does the gossip column, and she seems like the least temperamental, temperamental person for doing gossip because 
Certainly in this book, her whole role is to squelch the gossip that's out there. That's a good point. I think that Elizabeth brings a real journalistic integrity to her role as gossip columnist for the Oracle. Basically, Elizabeth pulls a Jessica on Jessica. And Jessica's like, game recognize game. Like, she's mad at Elizabeth, but also kind of appreciates that Elizabeth tries to blackmail her. She says, if you tell Lila about Roger being a janitor... I will tell dad about Dennis Creighton that yeah. you haven't been working on your homework at the office. Right. You've been, you know, doing an other extracurricular activities. Yes. Uh, Which Jessica resents, but somewhat admires. Yeah. She's like, all right, Elizabeth. Like, okay. Way to go. Way to play it. And she's, But she already has her scheme already, like, yeah. minutes later of when she's going to break the news to Lila at a point that will be most beneficial to her and most damaging to Lila. This yeah. is before she finds out Dennis is 15. Yeah. She's going to tell Lila at this party she suggests Lila throw in honor of Coach Coach Schultz Schultz. is the idea. Because everybody, there's this rumor going around the high school that Coach Schultz has cancer. There's cancer or there's, it's a bunch of things that he's been forced out because he's tried to push too hard on the board. Because he hasn't won a race since 1956. Yeah. uh, and Or he's sick or like Todd Wilkins even runs in the the first preliminary race as like a tribute to Coach Schultz. Yeah. I know that doesn't make sense, but he was talking, somebody overheard him talking to a doctor about tests, which he had taken at the end of the book. The coach reveals, oh, I have the body of a 30 something year old man, which. Yeah. The coach is fine. So it's a good thing Lila didn't throw this party. Uh, She doesn't throw the party because even though there's all this work being done to keep Roger's secret from Lila on, like, Elizabeth doesn't want Jessica to spill the beans, Olivia's not going to tell Lila, Elizabeth's not going to tell Lila, Roger, to his credit, tells Lila. Lila. Yes. And Lila doesn't take it well, but she takes it like you'd expect. (laughs) Yeah, Lila's just like... Ew. You're a janitor. Ew. (laughs) And then she just like drops him real quick Uh until the Bart comes around. And of course, of course, of course, Roger wins Wins the Bart. Yes. He wins. He breaks four minutes. He's chasing Bruce in the race and comes comes in and sets a, a record fourth best time or something in the stage or something. Yeah, history, something. I like that they're keeping Under four, Under four minutes. Under four minutes and embarrasses Bruce, who literally falls on his face during this race. It was yes. just so sweet. Yes. And But then the cheering, the crowd cheers when Bruce gets back up. And Roger doesn't know why the crowd is cheering, but the, the cheering amps him up even more to push himself to move as fast as humanly possible. And uh-huh. he, he wins the race in one of many, many sports scenes in this book. It's uh-huh. a very, very sporty book. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he wins. And then Lila runs up to him, kisses him on the lips. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I was all ready for this book to take a turn where, like, Olivia saw Lila kiss him, and now Olivia's hurt. Because Roger and Olivia at this point have actually, like, professed their love to each other. Uh This is actually what I wanted to get at earlier when you were talking about Roger not having a capacity for Uh um, adult relationships Uh or any kind of romantic relationship. He makes this total swing. Yes. He goes from having a crush on the worst possible candidate for no reason. She's an awful person. They have nothing in common. He can never tell her about who he really is to seeing Olivia and her love for him and just being the most sensitive, like mature, like lover. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> didn't, didn't quite believe it, did you? <laughs> I didn't quite believe it. And I remembered that when I was reading this book, I remembered a quote that I had pulled out specifically for my review of this book, my, my write-up of this book for the blog many years ago, because it just made me roll my eyes so much the first time. It did the ex- exact same thing the second time. Roger, on page 121, is looking at Olivia intensely, and he says, How could I have missed it? Missed what? Olivia countered. And Roger says, the love in your eyes. Uh, (laughs) It's beautiful. I mean, you know, I'm a a romantic. I can see the appeal. I wish that 16-year-old boys like this existed when I was 16. I wish that 30-year-old boys existed like this. But in these books, it seems like you get these characters, these male characters that suddenly have this very mature attitude about romance. Well, so since I'm your dad, I'll play the devil's advocate here. It seems to me, obviously, I don't believe that that's how it happens. You, you, I think there are epiphany moments. You realize something in a better and adult relationship. But what he realizes about Olivia, which is true, that I mean that she's got this maturity and is looking after him. I don't really think, in, in maybe it's looking in hindsight, that that is is love. I mean, you. A person needs to mature into themselves to have some sense of who they are and what they want if they're really going to be a relationship with any maturity. And he just didn't have it. You know, he's got an awareness that this could be some place to go with it, but he doesn't know enough about himself. Like, uh, it doesn't appear like he's ever had a girlfriend or anything. Like, you know what I'm well, saying? I do know what you're saying, and I'm just in awe of your wisdom, Dad. <laughs> Listeners, write in and tell my dad how in awe of his wisdom you are. Or if you maybe disagree and think that Olivia and Roger have the truest love that there ever was. Well, what that that would, if that if it were a real thing, that would be a, a, a wonderful and memorable story, a lesson to live by. Even though I think it would be exceptional, it would be a remarkable tale. Yeah, that's true. One thing in terms of uh, thinking about young readers reading this book mm-hmm. that I did like. Sometimes I feel very critical of these books and critical of the idea of young readers seeing these characters and what they might have taken away. But I do think that the lesson about um, kind of the way that Roger is keeping the secret and is so ashamed of himself, and he really didn't need to be, Mm -hmm. I think, um, and he was holding himself back to a certain extent because of his own shame. I think that that's, that's a good lesson for readers to take away, young readers. Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to to be ashamed of yourself. There will be people out there who see you for who you really are, and those are your real friends. Do you know who this uh, the age group that these these books are targeted? Are they like people who are not yet in high school or in high school? I don't know. I also, if anybody out there listening has an opinion, I'd be curious when you read these books yourselves. But I think that it's kind of like. You know, growing up, Seventeen magazine was always kind of maybe more for like 13, 14 year olds. Um, I think that these Sweet Valley High books were probably aimed at at girls that were not quite in high school yet. If if a girl was were in high school and reading this, it, it seems to me it would be an interesting amusement, and you could put it in context of your experience of what happens in high schools. But one of the concerns I had, if it was for somebody not yet in high school, it's kind of like these characters in who are imagining things. And my take, having read all of one book like this ever, is is that the 
atmosphere of a high school experience, at least as I remember, is so reduced. It's like if you took an overlay and this overlay was the sexual tension or something, that's there. But this book, like even Iron High School, there's there's no music, there's no interest in television, there's there's no just the freedom of going around and walking to places and finding it fascinating. There's none of the verbal banter of of trying to say oh this is cool and this is not you know that that people talk with all of that part about high school that made and in hindsight so rich when you were learning it's all stripped out of this book so sure other books have a little bit of that but this book is basically sports and gossip yeah i i I just yeah so i I just mean for the for young readers i i wouldn't want them to think that that's all of the high school is because there's there's a lot of pain, but there's also a lot of fascination, and you know it's an exciting time. You know? That's very true. That's very true as well. I'm sure we could actually talk a lot more about things uh, that happen in this book because there are lots of little nuances that we've skipped over. But there's one thing that I want to uh, point out that struck me as deeply poignant, nigh well troubling, and it happens on page 141. Oh, I guess I should say earlier on, I was saying that I thought maybe Olivia was going to see Lila kissing Roger and be jealous. And mm-hmm. But it was so late in the book, it didn't really seem like there was time for that. And sure enough, that doesn't happen. There's no confusion. Roger is able to kind of proudly walk away from Lila and be like, mm-hmm. he looks at her with disgust, I think. Yeah. It's like, no, honey, this is You're not- really, a sh- you're, you're shallow, but you're rich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so go, you go be with your money and have fun alone with your money. Um, and Lila, by the way, famously ignored by her dad. So she really is kind of like a sad, lonely girl oh, in her yeah. big house with, with her money and nothing else. Um, oh, don't cry, though. I know it's sad. But speaking of sad things, on page 140, 141, it's the close of the chapter during which Roger wins the Bart. The final paragraph, it says... Roger had had plenty to cry about during his life, but now, for the first time, he felt his eyes moisten with tears of joy. And I just thought, wow, this is the, he's 16 years old, and this is the first time in his life he's crying tears of joy? Uh, And I guess he's a boy. uh, But as, I know you can relate, as, but as a tears of joy crier, I think it's a family trait. I was I was really taken aback by that, and the idea that he's had plenty to cry about during his life. Yeah, although I suppose you could look at the other way as he might have cried for a number of reasons, but he was, he just was too unself aware to know what the motivation. Oh, was. that seems as likely as anything. Yeah, yeah actually, now they mention it. <laughs> so one of the last things, just to to lead us into next week, that happens in this book is that uh, Annie Whitman. Um, is mentioned. She's a character that we haven't really known anything about before. Yeah, except yeah, she's. Go ahead. She's mentioned. No, go ahead. She's mentioned oh, in the in in the locker room. Like, who are you going to go with to the to the to the Bart dance? He says, "Oh, maybe I'll go with Annie Whitman." And she, she's supposedly a girl with a reputation. She's a girl with a reputation. That's like get in line. That's the closest thing to like quote unquote locker room talk, uh, as we might now define the term that we get is like talking about Annie. And I think. Todd is the one who said that, so I thought less of Todd from the beginning. But That's a good point. I'm having to re-examine Todd through this podcast. I always was such a Todd fan, which actually brings us to boys. Oh, 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 who's a beautiful boy? Who's 
Let's talk about boys. Talk about boys. <laughs> I know you've always wanted to talk about boys on a podcast with me, Dad. Oh, yeah. So what, who have we got? We've got, I mean, we've talked a lot about boys already. There are tons of boys in this book, but not a lot of, like, dreamy boys. Like, it's like some of the other books. The boys in this book are, like, they're, like, buds. They're, like, bros, like, running a race. They're, like, buds. And most of them aren't very well developed, even, you know. I mean, in terms sure. of their characters. That's part for the course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of people. That, and there's there's uh, John Pfeiffer, we were talking about. The sports about. editor, John Pfeiffer. Spire, yeah. Uh, who can't run in the race because he's too busy covering it for the paper. Yes. And then there's there's Tony. We mentioned Estevan. He's a long-distance runner. He's the probably runs longer races than the Bart. Oh, it's a mid uh, yes, he probably does. And then they talk a lot. There's a lot of like kind of sports chat about track where like the whoever wrote this book, I think was probably a track runner uh-huh. herself is or herself because she uh, assuming it's a female writer. She Francine says Pascal is that in play? Well, that's another story. Francine okay. Pascal is the creator of the series. Uh-huh. The she did, she gets written. credited by other people. Goes yeah. Written. yeah. Um, well, and so she deserves a lot of credit. But whoever like physically wrote the words in this mm-hmm. book clearly knew a lot about track right. because they mentioned things I didn't even know what they meant. Like, oh, this person's expertise is the 440. Uh-huh. Like, okay. Um, or somebody's more of a sprinter. Right. Um, or so-and-so is only the school's long-distance runner because he's the only one willing to do it. That's what Bruce Patman says about yeah. somebody. Yeah. But I know a boy we can talk about. It is this boy, Kevin, that Jessica is, goes to the BART with. Do you remember how they met? No, I don't. We don't know what he looks like. We know nothing about Kevin except that he is one of the cheerleaders for one of the other schools. (laughs) So Jessica's there cheering with the cheerleading squad, and she's looking for a date for the Bart because Dennis is 15. He can't take her. That would be embarrassing. Dennis, I think, is the real heartthrob of the book. If I had to pick a boy to, like pick out and put on the pedestal yeah. as like my boy of the book it would uh-huh. be dennis poor dennis whose only crime was being born a few months later than jessica but kevin is described as one of the cheerleaders from the other high school so i guess like hunky male cheerle- cheerleader uh, is taking uh, jessica yeah. to the dance yeah. sweet valley high doesn't have any male cheerleaders so yeah i go figure this is an unusual town, and it seems to be big enough to have two high schools and a junior high thing, but there's no place to go except for the Dairy Burger. I <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, at one point with her job, says that she doesn't even miss the Dairy Burger, and Elizabeth counters, it's been two days. <laughs> Well, Dad, why don't you lead us out with the tease for Ah, the tease for next week. What trouble is in store for Annie? Find out in Sweet Valley High, number 10, Wrong Kind of Girl. Well done. Hi, it's Marissa. Wasn't episode 9 of Sweet Valley Diaries fun? Well, now I have a retraction from my episode 8 guest, Russ Nickel. He was so mortified by a mistake he made on the show that he recorded this special voice memo just for you. Did you catch his faux pas? Take a listen and find out. Sweet Valley Diaries always aims to be entirely factual, so... 
I would like to issue the following retraction. For all you Star Trek fans out there, I know that it's not the con par, but actually the ton far. Uh, so I just had a brain outage there. I truly apologize and hope that you'll be able to forgive me. Let's all reach deep down inside and find our inner Elizabeth and forgive Russ for that terrible mistake that we all definitely noticed. Thanks so much to Lauren Shippen, Jocelyn Schofield for the use of her song Beautiful Boys, to Don Flaxbart, Mary-Kate Battles, and to Nick Riley. And thank you so much for listening. Send me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. Find me on Twitter at Sweet Valley or on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries, where all my funniest pictures go. The first 10 episode season of Sweet Valley Diaries is almost over. But don't worry, I've had so much fun sharing this show with my friends and with you that I'll be starting a second 10 episode season, books 11 through 20, later this year. I count every one of you that listens and subscribes to Sweet Valley Diaries as such a blessing, and I'm so grateful and motivated to keep this train running. Uh, Thanks for subscribing to the show and tell your friends, especially if they're into Sweet Valley High. But hey, even if they're not, the more the merrier. That's the whole point of the show, right? Would you talk? Hey, how you doing, Marissa? Hi, Dad. That was very good. Oh, well, that's good. Very professional sounding. <laughs> Look at you. Turn it on. That must be where I get it. Uh, <laughs>